Hello Knockouts, Tanya TKO here, and we are back with episode number six of Goddess Off the Grid. And today I am just, I feel terrible. I just, I feel, I just, I feel terrible. And I wanted to come out and make this podcast so that we can have a deep and open, honest conversation amongst ourselves and I want to talk about a Tatiana Jefferson, Elijah Cummings, the guy who's going around, they say that he's attempting to transfer HIV to more than 600 black young ladies. I want to talk about some memes that I had gotten in, and I want to jump into all of those. Um, here, Goddess Off the Grid, we talk about getting off of the grid and we speak about many different types of grids. The grids that exist in society, the grids that exist within us, the grids that exist within our psyche, and really becoming aware of the grid and getting off of it. So I am Tanya TKO. I am a life coach and certified clinical hypnotherapist. I am also a self-love specialist and I am a, I don't even know how to put it. I made videos on Facebook and YouTube for 12 years, and I've built up a pretty huge audience doing that. And most of you who are listening to this podcast have most likely come over from my YouTube and Facebook. And it's strange because I got a message from YouTube today talking about, oh, what's going on? Your, your videos are 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 shorter people are not watching your videos as long because they have the algorithms that talk about the amount of time that a person watches but as you know I switched from putting long form content on YouTube and I've switched that over into creating podcasts so now I put up a one I put up one minute snippets or those sorts of things or I broadcast live but they don't really look at the algorithm for the live broadcast they look at the algorithm for the videos that you upload and so I've switched and I've made the transition from creating content on YouTube to creating the podcast and we're still kinda of getting our feelers on over here You know, today's podcast is going to be different than the typical podcast. Um, I just want to have a conversation, and it's okay for us to have a a conversation, right? I start out this I start out this this broadcast talking about YouTube because now that I'm no longer creating content in the way that I was creating content on YouTube, YouTube notices. However. There's a migration that I'm sure is occurring. And you know, people like me are change agents. I lived in my car before van life became a hashtag. And there were a lot of people who came out and they lambasted me for the journey that it took for me to unplug from the matrix that I was in and get into the spot that I am in right now. So as you all know, I live off of the grid now in an RV and I travel around the country just living my life on the land, living my life free. And I, today, 
I want to talk about a Tatiana Jefferson, 28 years old, pre-med student, at home, playing video games with her nephew, a light-complected black young lady, college-educated, and I uploaded a video onto my page um, on Facebook, The Tani TKO Show. You can go over there and look at the things that I post on there. And I uploaded a video of a Tatiana doing a demonstration for her AP class. And I was watching the video today on Twitter. That's where I first came across it. And the video was trending on Twitter. And I sat there and I watched it. And I was just like, I thought she was a teacher. And I was just watching this video of her talking about the quadrants and the cat, the cranial cavity and the thoracic cavity and all of these different cavities of the body and the different sections, the nine quadrants, the hypochondriac quadrant and the abdominal quadrant. And I thought she was a teacher for children or elementary school or something. She was kind of awkward and stuff and I was just listening to her. And then when the video closed out, and she said that her name was Atatiana Jefferson. I felt like I'd been kicked in the stomach. I felt like I'd been kicked in my abdominal cavity. <laughs> and I realized that I'd been watching a ghost. That I'd been watching the video of a young lady who was. And so that set the tenor for my day where I just had this young lady in my thoughts and I um I didn't come out and make a video about this because the last thing I want to do is I don't I don't want to be up here weeping and not in control of my own emotions you know but today I went to the grocery store right I went to the grocery store and I, you know, I try to get my steps in during the day. So I parked across the street and I walked. Um, and right now I'm in a little rancher town outside on the outskirts of LA County. I'm going to be doing some, some work in the autism sector. I'm volunteering. And so I need to be close to the city, right? So I parked across the street and I went to the grocery store and in, in order to get into this particular grocery store you kind of have to like walk through the these short hedges and enter up through like this little dirt path or whatnot and after I finished going grocery shopping I came out of the grocery store and there was a truck that had parked in front of the the opening from the hedge right and I went to go walk and I felt this hesitation on the inside. I felt angst and I felt very self-conscious and I felt frightened and afraid because me stepping out of the bushes with this car now parked in front of this area, I don't know whose car it is, I can imagine that it is a Caucasian person's car. And with me stepping out of the bushes, will I startle a person? Will a person see me too close to their car and become 
uncomfortable, confrontational, violent, suspicious? Will someone open fire on me? And I felt trepidation as I was walking to go, and this is it's broad daylight. I felt trepidation as I was going to go step off the, the curb from the parking lot into this hedge area because I didn't know who was going to be on the other side of that. Not that there was a person that, that I felt was going to be a threat to me. But who was going to see me in my black skin or the skin that they consider black? Who's going to see me in the body that they have called quote-unquote black and think that I am the threat and then use their own perception and their own biases in order to harm me and then get away with harming me because the people who run the judicial system think that just having this fear of these quote-unquote black bodies is enough to bring harm. Listen. Enough to bring harm to that body. And I stepped out through the bush. There was no one there. There was no one at their car. No one saw me. And I was able to step down onto the street, cross the street, and get to my truck and drive back to my RV safely. And when we talk about being free, that is not freedom. That isn't freedom. When the body that people have labeled and consider to be XYZ, when your mere body, just the existence of you living and existing is a threat to so many other people, that's not freedom. We are not free. We are in the prisons of other people's perceptions. And the worst part is that these prisons travel around with us so that we have to be super conscious of our movements, super conscious of our travails as we travel, as we put our foot out here, the tenor of our voice, how so many of us can't even speak naturally, live naturally, or exist naturally. We are walking around in these prisons that have been assigned to us. That is not free. And we talk about, we talk about living in this land of the free and the brave and it troubles me that there's so many, that there's so many citizens of us out here who because of the policies and the practices and the economic segregation and the food deserts and, and the judicial system and the years long, hundred years long practices in this country that there's so many of us who are not free and we're being assailed upon 
by the majority people in this country. You hear the train behind me? And you know, for so many of us, the the train represents an escape of traveling from one place to another. And I think it's symbolic that as I'm talking about this in the podcast, that the train blows its mighty horn in the background, travailing from one place to another. And I think about all of the people out there who are on these journeys, who are on these journeys where no place really feels like home. But I wonder, I wonder how many of us out there don't feel at home, don't feel comfortable in our own bodies, how many of us. And so I decided to come out and make this podcast because I know that it just can't be me. Because if I'm stepping down on the curb a little more lightly, with trepidation, wondering who might notice me and use that as the opportunity to assail upon me, claiming that I was the assailant. I know that if I'm feeling that, I wonder who else out there is feeling that way too. So for those of, for those of you who don't know the story, I'll just tell you this. In Fort Worth, Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas, about three or four days ago, there was a young lady by the name of a Tatiana Jefferson who was sitting at home. It's Texas. I guess it's warm at night. About 10 o'clock, she opened her door to let the breeze blow through. A neighbor called the non-emergency number of the police to have somebody come by and do a wellness check he didn't know if she was alright, if something had happened. Now, you know, he's a citizen too. It's already dark. He didn't want to go over there and check himself. So he called into a non-emergency number, and I'll play the call for you. Just for someone to come by and do a wellness check. So let's take a quick break, and then after the break, I'll play the phone call that the neighbor made to the police. I'm calling about my neighbor. What's going on there? Well, the front doors have been open since 10 o'clock. I haven't seen anybody moving around. It's not normal for them to have both of the doors open this time of night. Police body cam video shows the officer moving stealthily around the outside of the house looking for an intruder. He does not identify himself as a police officer. Then he sees a Tatiana in the window. Put your hands up! Show me your hands! The time that elapses between those commands and opening fire, less than half up, a second. All right, and we're back. So the neighbor made this phone call about 10 p.m., said that he saw the door was open. Around 2 a.m., some cops showed up on the scene. One of them, whose name was Aaron Dean. So Aaron Dean passes by the front door. He never knocks, he never announces himself as a police officer. Instead, he turns on his flashlight and starts prowling around her backyard. I heard that he passed by two open doors and never used one of them. So then he gets startled or whatnot, sees her in the window, sees her in her black body. Light-complected young lady, by the way. This is why I bring it up. Because in a flash in the night with the light on, her skin is as light as white. 
However, she has the Negroid features and she's in a in Fort Worth or in an area that is inhabited by black people and she's a woman and this cop was so afraid from the sight of a woman or so allegedly afraid that whatever it is that he had inside of his mind all of the preconceived notions that he has about blackness or negrosity that he saw her and, and within a split second less than two seconds he opened fire shot at her in her face she was in her home playing video games with her eight-year-old nephew. The eight-year-old nephew saw his aunt being slaughtered in front of him. So he opens fire on this young lady. Why? First, the report said, oh, there was a gun in the house. Now they're trying to purport that she was holding the gun up. Meanwhile, if that were the case, that would have been in the initial reports. But now they're coming out with the spin. The guy whose name was Aaron Dean, the police officer, he quit. He quit before he could get dishonorably discharged. So now they're spinning the story, claiming she had the gun in her hand. And the crazy part about it is, you all remember that group of bandits the people from that farm or wherever they were out in some part. I, I was just so annoyed by the whole story. It was a bunch of gun-toting white boys, gun-toting in some, some rural part of the country who decided that they was going to take over a courthouse and take over this whole entire part of the land and they were threatening to kill police officers and everything. And nobody was afraid of them with guns. Men white men, anarchists, who had taken over a town and they had themselves held up over there for, what it must have been two weeks, threatening, I'm telling you, threatening to kill cops and everything. And they were able to go free after the standoff and all that other mess because of whatever respect and all that other stuff that the police officers had for those type of bodies. They were able to, to live free and comfortably afterwards. But this young lady in her own home, shot dead, slaughtered, murdered through the glass window. And these are the people that are hired and paid by our tax dollars to protect us. But we don't have equal protection out there. This isn't freedom. We are not free. So in episode 5 we talked about the three archetypes of the aggressive victim, the three archetypes of white women that accost, harass, impede, otherwise trying to demoralize or enact social terrorism on black people in public. We we did that broadcast and you know a lot of it was really kinda cheeky but you know what this isn't funny this isn't funny when this report came out that night I was shook I was shook because you know I live in an RV and I'm thinking you know what at any time some police officer could be 
roaming around outside with flashlights. I lift up the blinds and they use that as cause to kill. Just seeing me in my black body. So I'm shook. I'm like, who's out there? I can't even open my blinds anymore. I can't feel comfortable just sitting here. People are using their irrational, quote-unquote, fear as a license to kill. You know what? There's so many different parts of this that are bad. One of the worst parts is that our government doesn't really seem to want to do anything about it. We know that the best way to end this type of irrational fear is for people to integrate. But the government is not allowing us to integrate. We should be busing people from one district to another so that our schools, so that each one of our schools looks like the landscape of America. So that there are multicultural people in each school. So there are people from different economic backgrounds in each school. Instead, we're jailing people for trying to get their child into a different district. So we have these socioeconomic issues that are pervasive. That the only way for a person to really escape from generational poverty is to be able to create that shift and pivot. And for some reason... This government doesn't want us to be able to shift and pivot. They want to be able to keep a permanent underclass. They want to be able to keep and perpetuate this irrational fear of just merely seeing a person in a black body. And the worst part about this is that there's so many of our countrymen who support this foolery. It's like you can't have a rational conversation with them. There are people out there to this very day that do not believe that there is any such thing as white privilege. Remember I told you I lived in my car for a year, right? When I was living in my car, at at some point, you know, it was just more comfortable to just stay in a tent. I was on this one particular, it was like a mobile home and RV park that allowed for you to tent camp on their lawn. It was a closed off area and it was, it was amazing. I, it, was, it was great, right? When I was there, I realized something amazing when it comes to white privilege, quote unquote, right? So now these people were, not quote-unquote, but when it comes to white privilege, I, I noticed something really amazing. So I'm on this mobile home park, this mobile home RV park. And there are some people, now let me tell you, an RV park and a mobile park are two completely different things. An RV park is a place where people who are retired, who live in RVs, they park in these parks while they are going to different places around the world, you know, living out their golden years. Most of the people who own RVs are older Caucasian folks, right? However, a mobile home park, now these people are poor, dirt poor. I don't know how much it costs to live in a mobile home park, but I imagine that it's somewhere around $300 a month, right? Even in a place like California, $300, $500 a month. You know, you have a home 
that even though they call it a mobile home park, I guess the home was mobile before they brought it there, but once it's there, it doesn't move. And as a matter of fact, once it starts to settle, you can't move it again. So that's the type of park that this was. And they also had some RVs that would come in and out of there, but most of the people there were in mobile homes. And I got to learn a lot about the differences between poor black people and poor white people. Now, poor white people are very interesting. Now, you know, poor black people are loud. They're hmm, angry, right? Uh, they, they're feeling disenfranchised. There's a, there's a different energy in the black ghetto than there is in, I'm going to call this a ghetto, or in the white ghetto, right? They're loud, but I wouldn't say that they are as angry. There seems to be a, it's kind of spitfire. Like they have, they have an, an anger that comes up, you know, when they're drinking and, and they, they're carrying on. But for the most part, they are just kind of, I don't know, it, it just, it seems, the anger seems transient. Like they'll be out there fighting one another and they, they even got their guns and they, they will, they, they, they will act a damn fool, right? They will act a damn fool, right? However, there's a there's a there's a downtroddenness to the the type of anger that exists in the black ghetto. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we were talking about white not white supremacy, about white privilege. So some of these people on these mobile home parks are very very poor. Some of them are on the outskirts, the out fringes of society because of different choices that they've made regarding their incarceration status as well as their drug use. So we got a lot of people hooked on this methamphetamine and we got a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of craziness. People with no teeth, people whose bodies are ravaged by drugs. It's a whole different world. And me personally, because I'm from New York, I am used to a different type of white person. I didn't even realize that white people could be that dirt poor until I un until I got to this mobile home park until I started, you know, living in this life and really meeting a lot of white people who are kind of like the the hidden stepchildren of white society because they're on the outskirts, on the out fringes. They they're the people that you don't see in the soap operas, baby. Let me tell you, they're the people that you don't see in their dramas they don't show you these people's bodies ravaged by meth with the oily stringy bleached blonde hair and the split ends and the dry the dried up looking patchy skin with pick holes marks in it now you they don't show you those people you know you see the black sitcoms and you see the black ghettos on tv but they are not name one time that you ever seen um a mobile home park sitcom you know I think Roseanne was as low as we got but even they lived in a house now and it, you know it was a house because multiple stories it's not like it was a double wide even though they were kind of trailer trashy themselves but they were just kind of like middle America kind of trashy not like this honey you haven't seen I'm telling you just imagine tooth missing Oh, with sweatpants in the summer with half of it falling down off the butt cheek and the skin with pick hole marks in it. And just just imagine, it's just use your own dog on imagination, right? 
So I realized one day there was this woman who'd had a baby, right? And when I looked at this baby, I understood white privilege and supremacy. I'm telling you, this mother was the quintessential mobile home park rat, trailer trash, everything that you can imagine from my prior description. But when she held up this baby, this chubby, fat, rosy cheek, cute little baby with perfect skin, just chubby, a chubby little cherub, and I realized that this child, this child had a chance. Because when you take this child, who was clean and shiny and bright, I'm telling you, pink, flushed cheeks, just cute and chubby, you would have never imagined that she came out of a meth head's pussy. You would have, this is what I'm telling you, to never imagined it. So this perfect little bouncing baby. When this little baby goes out there into the world, who would know that her mother was trailer park trash? Who would know? And I can imagine, I started thinking, I wonder how many of these highfalutin people that I see in New York in Manhattan, in the in the financial sector, in these high-rise buildings, making moves, moving and sticking in and out of the place. How many of those people's parents were methamphetamine addicts, were trailer park trash, except all they did was just dust off their suitcase, travel cross-country, end up in the big city, and here I am. Voila! I'm here. How would anyone ever know? That was the beauty afforded to them by their white skin that they could traverse through many different existences. If they happened to make it out of the mobile home park, if they happened to make it out of the trailer trashism, stay off of the drugs, go to school, learn how to speak properly. That white skin would be the passport to a whole new type of life because nobody would know. I'm telling you, when you saw that beautiful, fat, chubby little baby, nobody would have known that she came out of a methamphetamine pussy. You wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have known. And so that right there in a nutshell is white privilege. That white skin affords you the benefit of the doubt. That white skin is that passport where you could travel stealthily. However, there was a Tatiana Jefferson in her light skin, Negroid features. And one of the things that I wanted to just make note of is if you see from the video, the outside of her home was a little unkept inside of her home could have been a little more tidy 
And so these officers came into this neighborhood with all of their preconceived notions in mind of what type of people live in said neighborhood, what type of people or persons live in said house, who was waiting for them on the other side. They come with all of their preconceived notions. All they had to do was see that she was not white and then shoot to kill. So she didn't have the passport of white skin to traverse through the existence, getting the benefit of the doubt. She didn't have that white skin to cloak where her parents may have come from. She had Negroid features, and that was all the cop needed to see in that split second to quote-unquote fear for his life and kill this med student dead. Who knows what cures we may not have now because of this slaughter. Who knows what medical miracles she could have founded. But no, they just saw her in that Negroid body and opened fire. And it just makes me sick to my stomach. It just, it sickens me to my core. It just, it sickens me to my core. There are so many things that are wrong here. And the crazy part about it is, is that if we really wanted to solve these issues in this country, we could eradicate these issues in one generation. All we have to do is just integrate kids when they're young. Let people meet other people from different backgrounds, socioeconomically, racially, genderally, just meet different people. Part of the way that these injustices are able to continue to go on and perpetuate is because so many of us are segregated. Because people don't have any close friends or family members, people that they really love and truly care about, who are from different backgrounds. We keep ourselves separate and the situations are not equal. The textbooks are not equal. The test preparations are not equal. The resources are not equal. And so we have certain people rubbing elbows with other people from certain neighborhoods and never really getting a chance to ever really meet anybody outside of that area. We got private schools that cost $25,000 a year and not enough pressure on these schools to provide scholarships to people to help diversify their student body. Elijah Cummins died today and there's a part of me that just feels, I just feel awful about it. It's like he fought for civil rights 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And he's still in that same fight today, or he was in that same fight. You hear that loud train coming on that one. That's right. Go on, Elijah. Go on. And 50 years later, we're still dealing with the same issues as our forefathers. Same issues. And there doesn't really seem to be a concerted effort to be able to combat these issues. I mean, are we not all citizens? Are we not all Americans? Why is it that we are cannibalizing ourselves from the inside based on race? What would this country be like if we gave people equal opportunity to be able to 
become educated, equal opportunity to be able to get the same robust type of education. If we gave people equal opportunity to be able to open businesses, gave people loans at the same amount, taught people about enterprise in the same way. If we gave people equal footing, what would this world be like? It's like we have these people pushing this false narrative of superiority and supremacy based on what? On nothing. It's faux superiority manufactured by the practices of this country to keep certain people ahead. And the worst part about it, we talked about this in the last episode. The most creative of people, the innovators, the inventors, the most, I'm telling you, the most ingenious of people, they're holding back from being able to really flourish, shine, and benefit this country. And this is part of the reason that I feel like, how far can this country really get? How, how far can the country really get? When we have these policies about immigrants and, oh, because you got brown skin, you must be lesser. Oh, you, your skin is dark. You must, oh, you, 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 I'm going to shoot you down. Steve Jobs' parents were Syrian refugees. It was like the people who come into this country, you never know where innovation may come from. What little child being held back at the border right now in a cage because of their brown skin? What child right there could have been and could have had the key to something ingenious inside of them? But we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. We're looking down on them because, oh, they got brown skin. They ain't nobody. They ain't this. They ain't that. After this, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about this guy with his... HIV, and I'm, I want to talk about this meme that I saw. If you really, 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 really think about it, if you really think about it, right? Every single new dance move that you have ever been introduced to in the last half century have all been innovated by black people, innovated by People who seem to possess this quality of je ne sais quoi, of just really creating something new out of nothing. The creators, listen, we talked about this in the last podcast. If you really, really think about it, even all those old time dances like the twist and the mashed potato, these were all things that were created and innovated by black people. In the past 40, 50 years, what dance have you seen invented by any Caucasian? And I would, I would gather that the dances that they did take credit for were stolen, pilfered, or reappropriated to themselves under some, some new guise. And I'm very serious about that. We may laugh at what we consider to be these quote-unquote ghetto names, like a Tatiana, Quanisha, Aquanetta, Demarquarius, these types of names. People laugh at them because they're like, oh, that's ghetto, right? But if you really think about it, that's creativity in motion. And it's because of the socialization of who it is that we attribute to certain names, we're like, oh, this is almost too. But Denzel, 
that's not a name that was here before his parents decided to innovate that name. So it's like we have these these notions of creativity that are just fly that are just evolving out of the woodwork that we kind of just kind of push down like oh it's like it shows up in many different ways like I talked about the dancing we're talking about names right now when you look at the inventions all oh, these solar batteries created by children in Africa the young boy in Kigali I believe it was who made that windmill he was able to power the the water irrigation in his town where there was drought and it's like you see all of this creativity one after the other the filtration system the creating nothing the creating a light creating electricity out of urine just different types of innovation and it's like the writing is there on the wall but we got these people so busy trying to push inside of their own minds their superiority that they are stopping the world from being what the world truly could be and the craziest part about this is that a hundred years from now we, the, we're gonna look back the people are gonna look back and they're gonna be like why did black people why did you put up with that what well, it, it's it's obvious to us but there's so many of us who are living in this this with this cloak it's so obvious the bias just like when we look back and we're like, oh, these people, how they lived in slavery. Well, why didn't they revolt? Why didn't they do this? What are we doing right now? The bias in the system is obvious from Rodney King to the, the killers of Tamir Rice to the killers of Eric Garner. And slowly but surely, one by one by one, as they get off and continue to go about their merry little way, we're sitting here experiencing this pain and this loss inside of us. So my condolences goes out to Atatiana's family. And my condolences go out to you as well. Because I know that you are in a certain state of mourning yourself. I know that you are experiencing an assault each and every time something like this comes up in the news. It just keeps getting closer and closer to home more and more evidence of the fact that you just in your mere existence is a a life or death threat to other people and it's like it's coming it's, it feels like it's reaching a fever pitch and there's so many of us i mean this is assaulting ptsd that we have to deal with this ongoing onslaught of trauma over and over and over again and when will enough be enough how much longer are our countrymen going to sit there in denial that this is not flagrantly race-related? People act like, oh, if you're just good enough during a traffic stop, oh, if you're just compliant enough, if you're just obedient enough, then this wouldn't happen to you. Why should a person get shot through their window with a flashlight pointed on them, which means that they cannot see you? You can see them, but they can't see you. They don't know what's going on. You're prowling around through their backyard. They don't know who you are, but yet you are executioner on their property. Now, if she would have bucked some shots out the window and had harmed him, she would be completely in the right. 
And a big part of this is the way that we're training our police officers. This us versus them, the blue gang, the blue wall of silence, the way that we're training our police officers to feel like they are on occupied land and the people who pay them, the taxpayers, are the enemies. So that they're happy to be hopped up on military gear, their, their pseudo little military fantasies lived out on occupied land where they are policing the people. So they got their tanks, and they got their, their battering rams, and they got their LRAD devices, and they have all of these different toys. So the people who didn't have the time, the commitment, the discipline to be able to go into the military, oh, six months, you get out the academy, and now you out there. No psych evaluation, no understanding of the laws, nothing. You just out there with a gun, licensed to carry and kill. You know what, on that note, we're going to step out for a quick little break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this very troubling and distressing story. Be back in a moment. Says Pope lived next door to him for several years. He says he's seen numerous young girls stop by. They look like they were very young, underage maybe. And they stayed over some and then, then they would disappear. Documents obtained by WMBF News show in July, Pope held young girls against their will in a room of his home to perform sex acts. One of the victims listed as 17 years old said Pope gave her, quote, money and other things for sex. Other reports detail incidents from September to December of 2017 where Pope extorted young girls for sex. One listed as young as 13 years old, marijuana and money to have sex with him. The report shows the victim told the officer a condom wasn't used and was concerned Pope had a sexually transmitted disease. What's your reaction now that you find out everything uh, he's arrested for? For his daddy and mother, it's a bad situation all the way around. <sighs> Many of you have seen the images of this Caucasian fellow going around on the internet with a whole bunch of pictures with him and black young ladies, black girls. And there was a hashtag going around with it that this guy was claiming that he had given HIV or at least tried to spread HIV to more than 600 black women. And I got to be honest with you, when I saw this story, I thought it was a lie. I thought it was a joke. But now it is being picked up by legitimate news agencies. And I guess this is a real story. I, I hope that something like this would not be true. So it's this crusty looking white dude. He looked beat if you ask me, right? And he is in all of these images with all of these different black young ladies. And I got to be honest with you. The vast majority of these black young ladies look ashen. They look like they themselves could have seen finer days. So he specifically targeted young ladies who have esteem, self-love, and self-worth issues most likely because he was pushing to have unprotected intercourse with them. According to a news story that I saw earlier today, many of these girls were 17 and some neighbors didn't know their ages but he but they said that the girls looked very very young and i'm just i'm horrified
am horrified. You have the most vulnerable people in society. The most vulnerable. And here is this damn fool with his diseased dick going around attempting to spread HIV to women and then hoping that they will go and have intercourse with black men. And it's like, listen, son, we really, we don't need you to do that. No, this is, it's freaking ridiculous. So he's attempting to get to black men through black women's pussies. Then we talk, look, we talked a little bit about that in episode five from the reverse side with white women attempting to get back into your womb by jumping onto a black dick. So here is this guy with whatever it is that he feels that he has against black men and then using black women. First of all, it's a lot more difficult for women to spread disease to men, sexually transmitted diseases to men than it is for men to spread them to women. So what he's doing is he's just going out there attempting to murder black women. Why? This person is a serial, can we, we, I, look, a, I don't want to call him a serial killer just yet because, you know, HIV is now a very manageable disease, but he's a serial infector going out there hoping to ruin the lives of the wounds of society and I'm just like this is just it's, it's doggone ridiculous it's like it seems like black women can't catch a break number one we have to love ourselves enough to not have unprotected intercourse with people period if you don't have known this person for several months and gone down and gotten checked with them every three months then on the sixth month and then not have unprotected intercourse until you at least have gotten two tests with them in six months so that you can traverse and then also you're still putting your life in this person's hand and it's like we have so many people out there who don't love themselves enough to be able to demand that they are treated a certain way to demand that they receive a certain amount of care attention and affection for their lives you have to demand the best for yourself and you have to surround yourself with people who are willing to give you the best and what it is that you're willing to accept first starts you hear that locomotive you go listen it is on a roll tonight this is what I'm talking about whenever we have a runaway message we get this runaway train blowing its horn in the background but let me get a toot toot on this you have got to love yourself enough to be able to surround yourself with people who will treat you as you would treat yourself but first and foremost it comes to you treating yourself well not letting people run up into you raw because they show you a little bit of affection or care. But then I was also hearing that he was holding people hostage in his home, kidnapping young ladies, and then forcing them into these acts. This person is a sicko, and I hope they put him under the jail. How much more are we supposed to take? We are under attack from so many sides. And that's what leads us into our next story. I want to give a special thank you to Moni who sent me this meme and I'm going to read it for you. It says, folks are so accustomed to and expect black women and girls 
being in positions of struggle and labor, that seeing them be spoiled is a huge issue. And then this guy at So Damn Skinny responds, It's weird seeing black women spoil, because it just don't look right to me watching them depend on anyone. I DK. I'm used to black women handling everything. And you know what? Listen. On the surface, this may sound like a compliment. Oh, handle everything. Yeah. Oh, sugar butt, you so strong. Oh, you a strong black woman. My wife a strong black woman. It seems like a compliment at first. But when you look down into the arbitals, and you know the arbitals are reading between the lines. When you look at the arbitals, you see... It's weird seeing black women spoiled because it just don't look right to me watching them depend on anyone. IDK, I'm used to black women handling everything. So here we have a man who to him, seeing a black woman pampered and spoiled, this is why people get so angry at Russell Wilson who married Ciara after she allowed this bum future to enter up into her and deposit a seed inside of her. They were like, oh, she's going to be damaged goods now. But when she found a man who she vibed with, who vibed with her and was there to treat her like a queen, then people are like, oh, you a simp, you a simp, calling Russell Wilson all types of names because they wanted to see her suffer. They wanted to see her languished in pain. They wanted to see her never be able to rise again. They wanted to be like, yeah, haha, that's what you get. You should have chose better. But bitch, when you try to choose better, you better not try to exclude me, bitch. Females like you. So it's like on the one hand, they want you to, they want to try to embarrass you for not choosing better. But when you exclude them because you want better, then all of a sudden, you, you, your standards are too high. Meanwhile, these mofos, these mother effers, don't even want to see you spoiled. This is why they take their monies and they take their resources to other communities. And they spoil these other women because they're used to seeing them so pampered. Oh, well, you know, you got that, that good hair. You got that light, pretty skin, that clear skin. You, you, you so pretty. You got the light skin, they good hair. You got the European jeans. You should be spoiled. Like Amber Geiger, how many people didn't want to see Miss Missy go to jails? Oh, Miss Missy, you know you just do tenders for jails. Oh, then we're going to let you get off. Come here, Miss Missy, let's give you some hugs. So Miss Missy goes and puts some little tears in her eyes and then all of a sudden, you know you was just too precious to suffer for your indiscretions, Miss Mielsa. And then they're hugging her up in the church, in the church. They'll hug up Hamburgiga. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But the closer you are to Negroid, the more used to they are to you struggling back breaking, handling everything, working to your ninth month pregnant with twins and getting congratulated for it. I'm telling you, listen, I wasn't able to sleep last night. There was one thing that kept reverberating around in my mind, and maybe this was the whole reason why this part of the podcast needed to be said. Last night as I was trying to sleep, I just kept thinking over and over and over again, 
about the end of these women's lives. All of these women who do all of this sacrificing and all of this other stuff, what does the end of their life look like? What To what end? So you do all of this sacrificing. All of us who have had a grandmother or some matriarch in our family or in somebody else's family who we have seen the trajectory of their lives, where did all of this sacrifice lead to? When they died, were they surrounded by this loving husband that they gave up so much for? Was he there by her bedside? Was he already dead or was he in another woman's Was he in another woman's house up the street with his other family? Moved on to another state after grandma busted her hump and her back and bump for this man. When she died, she had gnarled fingers, arthritis, high blood pressure, gout in the foot, broken back, humped over, slumped over, body riddled with disease, and died alone, crippled and half crazy. Where did all of the sacrifice lead to? And I was tossing and turning. I could not sleep. I'm telling you, the angel spoke to me and told me to speak out on this. To what end does all of this sacrifice lead all of these women who are quote-unquote quintessential pick-me's? They give and they give and they give, hoping to one day get that return. But from what it is that you know in your own experience, does the return ever come? When they die, do they die with all of this land and property? Are they rich, filled with monies, bank account bustling? Are their heads held high and people sitting around their bedside weeping? Or are even the fruit of their loins, the devil seeds that they push out into the world against them too, waiting for her to kick the damn bucket so that they could oh holler and scream over her casket and then start fighting over what little assets everybody want to take granny house. The little bit that she did have. Oh, that's mine. It's this, that, and the other. They don't really give a F about granny. She's halfway one foot out of the grave, and nobody want to take care of her when she's sick. Though she gave and gave and gave for those damn little crumb snatchers. And then where are they when she's in her time of need? I'm telling you, look around. The women who give and give and give of themselves selflessly. Listen to that word, selflessly, so that you don't give to yourself. You're selfless. And then I just, I just kept thinking as I was trying to sleep, what does it really take? What does it take for a woman to die having lived her life by her own means? Die having gotten everything out of this life that was meant and owed for her. It takes her taking and putting her foot down and demanding what it is that she wants for her. It starts with demanding the type of treatment that she chooses to have around her, setting her boundaries. This is acceptable here. That is not. You will have to go on with that someplace else. In order to be able to have the type of life that you want, there has to be a conscientious effort to get that type of life. 
You have got to do the things that you need to do for you to have the type of life that you choose to have. Because if you don't do it, if you don't put yourself first, who will? And if you create the culture inside of your family of mama being selfless, if you create the culture of letting people know that it's okay not to care about you because doggone it, you don't even care about you. When you create that culture in your family, you create the culture for abuse to surround you. It's only when you demand a certain type of treatment. It's only when you demand a certain type of accoutrements around you. It's only when you demand those things and set that standard and live by that standard that you set the example for other people. But when you treat yourself less, you set the standard for people to treat yourself like less too. And then that becomes the culture. And when it goes from one house to another, it then becomes the society. So now we have a society of people who think that the self of black women is less. So that even they don't want to spoil you. But you know what? Listen, I'm here to tell you that you got to spoil you. You have got to spoil you. You've got to take a vested interest in living the type of life that you want to live. You, you have got to do that. If you want to get educated, you've got to take a vested interest in being able to get the level of education that you would like to get for you. If you would like to travel more, you have got to take a vested interest in going to the places that you want to go. Seeing the lands that you want to see. Eating of the fruits that you want to eat of. Because at the end of the day, baby, listen, this is your life. Your life is made up of the activities of that life. Do you value yourself enough to instead of being selfless, you are self-more. You are self-fulfilled. You have self-worth. Instead of being selfless, you are self-full. Do you value yourself enough? And if you don't, what is the trajectory of your life going to be? Who's going to be there by your bedside when your foot is riddled with gout, your knuckles gnarled, gnarled from arthritis, back humped from the weight of the world and people being so goddamn thankless about it because that's what they expected from you, bitch. So much so that they, had, they, they break their neck if you try to do something else. So that then the oppressors now have agents inside of your own home oppressing you too. But honey, it's time that you threw that shawl off and ripped off that granny frock. Tossed that old wig aside and started getting a new lease on life. What would it take for your life to be self-full? Hmm? How many of us out there living in bodies that we don't really truly want to be in? You want to work out more. You want to drink more water. You want to get more sunshine, more travel, more this, more that. 
but you're in this existence where you're miserable, stuffing down your pain and emptiness with self-abusing foods and behaviors. And I'm telling you, you got this one shot. You're listening to this broadcast right now. This is your wake-up call. Wake up. Listen to what it is that I'm saying. Wake up. What is it going to take for you to be self-full? Don't use your children as an excuse. You created the culture of your household. Now it's time to create a shift. It's time for you to start thinking about what is it that you want for your life? How do you want to live? Where do you want to live? What do you want inside of your home? How do you want to show up in that home? Do you even want a home at all? Listen, we talked about a lot during this broadcast, and I'm glad that you were able to come out and speak with me. Thank you for joining me. I am your host, Tanya TKO, and this was Goddess Off the Grid. Remember to come to TanyaTKO.com, where I have a host and array of hypnotherapeutic MP3s. As you know, I am a certified clinical hypnotherapist. I'm a life coach and the author of the book, The Book of Self-Love Affirmations. And this is an affirmations book that rewrites your subconscious programming. All you have to do is just write the affirmations before you go to sleep. Or as soon as you wake up, everybody does it in a different way. For me, I write them before I go to sleep and things begin to unfurl in my life. I have some announcements that I'm going to be making soon, but I want to enact these things in my life first so that I can then introduce them to you. But the book is grand and magical. It changes so much. All of those things that you say that you want, this book, it rewrites your subconscious programming and it brings these things into your life. The synchronicities will just start showing up. However, you have to show up for yourself. My book is $19.99. It's inexpensive. You can get it on Amazon where they ship it out to you for free. When you come to my website, I autograph it for you. So there's two different ways that you can get it. You have to show up for yourself. And $20 is not too much to invest in yourself. To be able, if, 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 if this book can give you even 25% of the change that I am telling you it creates in your life, then it is worth far more than $20. Because I'm telling you that this book has made all the difference in the world. These are the affirmations that help me shift from being in my car to living in this beautiful condo on wheels. Living off of the grid in amazing, beautiful destinations across the U.S. And I'm actually about to take it to a whole different... Listen... I'm gonna, uh, I'll let you all know, but I first want to do a few things, and then once these things start to unfurl, I'm going to tell you what it is that I'm doing, because I'm hoping that I can bring a few of you along with me. But first, you have to love yourself enough to invest in yourself. And I'm very serious about that. There's so many of us who want to take a passenger seat to life. There's so many of us 
who want to just sit idly back and let life come to us. You know what happens when you're on a, like let's say you're a leaf on a stream and you allow that stream to just take you wherever the stream goes. You end up going wherever the stream decides that you will go. However, if as a leaf you see, you know what, I want to be on this piece of land right here. You've got to do the things that you need to do to be able to guide and steer yourself towards that. There are so many people who listen to my podcast passively. You want to listen passively. There's so many people out there who are like, listen, Tanya, I ain't going to pay to get your content. I like my content free. Listen, ain't no such thing as free. Ain't no such thing as free. Somebody's paying for something. If you're not paying for a product, you are the product. Facebook makes $100 million a day off of your privacy being invaded. $100 million a day. That's a lot of money. There's money out there to be made. But there's many of us who have this twisted kind of mindset where we don't feel that we're worth investing in. Like, I don't say nothing. Listen, people are like, oh, Tanya, I ain't, I ain't paying for your content. I ain't going to contribute monthly. I'm going to see how I can get what I want to get. And then you wonder why the air of selfishness and greed surrounds you. When you perpetuate that outward, it comes back inward. Because that is the culture that you create around your life. I say, hey, listen, you know what? I make this content and I create this content. Invest in the stuff that you want. Invest in the content that you like for you. The content that benefits you. And that act of investing in yourself sets wheels into motion to benefit you. It sets the wheels into motion. How much do you think you are worth? What will it take for you to be self-full? And on that note, go out there and love one another. Most importantly, love yourself. And part of loving yourself is being self-full. Let that be the word of today, self-full. We started off this broadcast talking about YouTube and how YouTube has noticed that my behaviors has changed on YouTube. The videos have changed. People's interaction with the videos have changed. And it's like sometimes it takes stirring things up taking away what people are used to in order to be able to go in the direction that you choose to. And they'll notice, oh, by the time that they noticed, by the time that they notice, it may be too late. Because now, listen, I've created a shift out of the ways that I did things before on YouTube. Oh, and they notice, how long has it been? How long has it been? Maybe about two weeks now? It's been about two weeks and they notice, oh, what's going on? What's happening? But I'm being self-full. I'm creating the type of content that makes myself full. The way that I was doing things before on YouTube, it didn't make me feel full. 
there were things that I had to do for the algorithm and I was being pimped by the algorithm running behind it trying to no I shifted and now I make myself full I'm leaving the United States in a few weeks and I'm heading over to the motherland the return of the African American and I'm excited about that you know it's like we can't just sit here like these ducks at the carnival. You know the little game where the person takes the water gun and the ducks keep rolling round and round on the conveyor belt and you just squeeze, 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 squeeze with the water gun until the duck boom, falls over? We can't just sit here doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result. So I'm trying different things, trying new things. And a lot of these things have been spearheaded by the work that I've been doing passively in the Self-Love Affirmations workbook. I'm telling you my truth. All you have to do is just write them out. It seems silly sometimes because it feels like it's not really doing anything. But then you wake up the next morning and there's a shift. You look around, money's starting to come phone calls are starting to happen it's like it just it there's some connection I don't know what connection this book has to the ether world or the other world however you want to pronounce it I don't know what connection it has to life outside of this grid but it really creates a shift on this one and that that's all I'm gonna say about that in this broadcast Remember, the word for this broadcast is self-full. Figure out what will make yourself full. All right? Tanya TKO, and I am out. This is Goddess Off the Grid signing out. Come over to TanyaTKO.com, and I will see you in the next broadcast. Peace. This is so upsetting. I really, really had a hard time listening to this recording of this young woman. I feel so bad for the lady trying to defend her daughter and having someone not al someone basically trying to not allow you your right to protect and defend your own child. I could hear it in her voice like when she said I'm going to knock your head off. It wasn't so much like as the 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 the, the victim, the fake victim white lady there. Oh, you're trying to punch me in front of your child no she's not trying to be violent you're she's trying to defend her daughter and you're not allowing her her right it was just ugh, so disgusting to hear oh Adonai oh I was targeted at the target for being a Jew nobody will give you a story okay and um What's funny to me is that the entire time she's trying to cry wolf, if you want to call it in this whole thing, the whole time she's crying her wolf, she's using little slurs here and there in her Yiddish or in Hebrew, because I'm thinking it's both. I'm from Brooklyn, so yeah, I'm familiar um, with the word goyim. It's usually used as a derogatory slur. Um, it's, it's not itself a derogatory term. It really just means a person that's a non-Jew, but usually they use it to mean a heathen or a non-believer. And usually when people use that term, they're using it to um, put someone down. So for me, it's interesting when she says, oh, I call the cops and, we, and oh, you call, you reach for help. And people, 
you think the Goyim are like, they're not like them, they're not. Sorry for all the noise, I hope you're able to hear my previous recording. But in short, yes, Hashem got targeted at the target. No one believes your story, okay? You're calling out for Adonai and Mashiach coming back to help you out. But meanwhile, you're dropping little hints and little slurs here, Goyim and all little words. Not understanding that your audience is not only Jewish people who know these words and also Google and also people are just intelligent anyway. You know, I live in New York, so I'm familiar with these terms. And I did not, I, I just, once again, the whole interaction, she was antagonizing, she was prejudiced, and now she's trying to come, as they say, as a hit dog and holler on the other side that she was being targeted at the target. And no one believes your story. That's all I have to say, Tanya. Bye, knockouts. Hey, everyone. This is Black Buddhafly. Respect to Miss Tanya TKO and all of her knockouts. Uh, this is definitely a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, just last week, I was literally ran over coming out of an elevator by three Caucasian ladies and one Hispanic. Really funny. After I finally graciously allowed them to knock me over and didn't say much I just calmly stated to all four of them wow it's interesting normally a person lets another get off of the elevator before they enter the elevator and the Hispanic lady sits there and looks at me and says well we're sorry and I said yes you are I think that you did a wonderful job. It's like I always say, it's not considered a problem in America until it begins to affect, you know, white women and white children. But I think for everything that you said, I think every black woman and every black girl needs to hear this because, you know, we grow up thinking and feeling that there's something wrong with us, that we're ugly, that we're not good enough, and that's not the case. It's like you said about the diamond. It's everything that we go through that makes us beautiful. At the end of the day, black doesn't crack. Like, it's so much. It, it was beautiful. I can say so much more, but I'm new to this. Like, thank you. I really, really appreciated and felt that you spoke to practically every kind of architect of women, of white women and their aggressive behavior. And as you were describing the women, I'm picturing women in modern society and historical society. And I, I came away just feeling like, wow. I think the only one maybe missing is like a sneaky Sarah. And that's the woman who masquerades as like, you know, I am in line with black women issues. Uh, I'm a super feminist and I'm here to fight for you. But and black women trust her, but then she turns her back on them. But other than that, I wish this was a course that we could teach black girls across the country <laughs> and they can pick out women in history and in current day and just amazing. And 